All right, Josh Smith here, live from Flat 5 again, my studio. And my guest today is one of my favorite guitar players, Val McCallum, also a great songwriter, singer, just an artist in his own right. But um, I think I first heard him, geez, where did I first heard him? I, I definitely saw his band Jack Shit when I first moved to town. I saw him play with Jackson Brown. I think I saw him with Lucinda Williams. Uh, he plays with many of my favorite artists, and it was I was always wondering who this really tall guy was on stage with all these people I really like, and he was playing his ass off and, man, made such a big impression when I moved to town. And, uh, dude, it's just a pleasure to have you on. I love your playing, and, uh, you know, thank you for doing this. Oh, my pleasure, Josh. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah, man. So I'm I'm curious, you know, with everybody – for a little bit of their, their journey, how, how they get started. I know you come from a really creative family, you know, of musicians and actors and just creative types, but who, who put the guitar in your hand the very first time? Um, my stepfather, Charles, um, uh, bought me and my brothers all guitars for Christmas. I have three brothers. And so under the Christmas tree one year was a bunch of guitar cases. And, um, yeah, that's kind of, you know, I was seven years old. I, you know, I think wow. maybe my brother, my older brother, might have had a guitar before that. But, um, yeah, he, he started it. And me and my brother Paul are, were the two that, you know, still play guitar, you know, after that's, all this time. So seven years old. He just had a, uh, an inkling to do it. I, 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 did he play guitar? I don't really know. Did, no. did he play guitar? No, not, not at all. He wasn't musical at all, but he just loved music and appreciated anybody that could play music. So, you know, he, he just, he, he was, loved the idea that, that uh, we might become musicians, you know? So he was really like freaked out by um, anybody that could pick up a, a mandolin in an antique shop and like play a tune on it or, you know, it just kind of blew his mind. That's awesome. Because like, my parents don't play an instrument and something made my dad buy me a guitar when I was three years old, just for no reason. And, and you know, who, where would I be today without that happening? But again, there, there's no musicians in my family other than my mother's brother who was out here in LA. There was nobody in my house or anything. And yeah, wow. it was just so random. Yeah. Did they sing or hold a tune? <laughs> no, no, they just, my dad always jokes. The only thing he can play is the stereo, you know, but, but, yeah. Yeah. No, they just so love music. My yeah. My dad couldn't sing. He couldn't hold a hold a tune, you know, at all. You know, it was like amazing to hear him try to sing, but he was always singing anyway, you know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, in my see in my house we watch sports, but we turn the volume off and we listen to records twenty four hours a day. So we were watching Yankees baseball or something every day and had, you know, a record on. And and luckily my parents did like a diverse cross-section of music so it would be one day it would be Almond Brothers next day it would be Thelonious Monk and the next day it would be Otis Redding you know so I was lucky in that way wow that's very hip yeah my, right. when I say my dad I'm talking about my stepdad and he was yeah you know my real father's still alive but my stepdad yeah. who I was raised by he was all about Sinatra and like uh, Slim Whitman <laughs> oh, really yeah that's, really that's where cool. the country came from that's really cool, though. I mean, you know, to, that's so interesting that he loved music that much that he just felt like this was a cool thing to do to bring home guitars for the for his sons, you know, his stepsons. That's really cool. 
Yeah, and totally support us the whole way if we were into it, you know? Yeah. So, okay, so then what, what was next? Did you and your brothers kind of learn together? Did you take lessons or, you know, how, how did you progress? Yeah, with those guitars came a guitar teacher who drove a Volkswagen bus and he looked like one of Three Dog Night, had, you know, like, oh my God, had a sun painted on the front of his VW bus. And he came in the house and gave us all guitar lessons. He taught us, like, you know, Three Dog Night songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So this is, you're seven years old, you're saying, and, and you had this guy driving over once a week or something to give you guys guitar lessons. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. And then we went from there to Westwood Music. You know, I grew up okay. kind of in Westwood and Bel Air, and we would go to Westwood Musical Instruments, Fred Wallachie shop. And I would, mm -hmm. me and my mother and brother Paul, who were the two that conti we continued with guitar, we would all take guitar lessons from a guy named Bud DeShiel back to back, like half hour lessons wow. on a Saturday. Yeah. Wow. And when did you feel like, you know, I, did you love it right away? Or was there a moment when you felt like, you know, it started to click and, and the real like deep love started to happen? You know, for me, it happened immediately. You know, like um, we, we, my mom listened to really cool music. So, you know, we were listening to Beatles and stuff. Not as cool as your parents. No Thelonious Monk, man. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so as soon as I like learned, you know, why don't we do it in the road, which was just yeah. Why don't we do it in the road? Yeah. It's like, I was gone. Yeah. That's, yeah, I mean, that's all it takes, you know, something to just like set the hook and, and you're reeled yeah. in forever. Like it, it well, just then, never changes. Then like the concept of playing lead guitar, that was like learning Johnny Be Good, you know, the opening riff to that and like, when my brother taught me that, I was like, shit, not, you know. I so your brother this. learned it before you then? Yeah, he's five years older. So he would learn it, you know, he would learn everything. Like he was like deep into it. He went to Berkeley, like he's got actual breeding chops, and, you know. Right. Um, but he would come, I'd come home from school and I would just get on his couch and like, okay, show me this, you know, stairway yeah. to heaven, here we go. <laughs> <You know? laughs> wow, man. Away. Wow, okay. Okay, so you were hooked right away, and you're putting in the time, you know, the, because it didn't feel like time. I know that feeling. Like, it just feels like you're meant to be doing it. It doesn't feel like homework or anything. So when, when does the shift happen where you start to think you need to, like, maybe play with friends or your first band or, you know, start to get into situations with other musicians? Well, my brother had um, a band, started a band um, with – a uh, producer named Bones Howe who did The Fifth Dimension and he okay. had a studio wow. on Tiger Tail Road uh, in Brentwood and um, we would drive over to his house and I, my brother got me to play bass in the band when I was seven years old or eight years old. Unreal. So yeah, I was like in this garage band with uh, Bones Howe's son, Jeff on drums and my brother Paul and um, we would play at like, we played a few gigs, we played dances and I remember my we got a gig at my, my brother's summer camp and my mom came in my bedroom. I was already in my PJs and like bed at like, you know, seven o'clock or something, you know? And uh, she was like, Oh, we're, we're letting you uh, go, go play with your brother at camp tonight at the, at the dance. You know? Unreal. <laughs> when yeah, did you get, when did you get your first pay at a gig? Cause that was a momentous occasion for me. Uh, um, that I don't, you know, 
I don't really remember. I mean, like real, like proper money uh, is sort of the first thing I think of. You know, I didn't. I don't remember really making any money when I was a kid. But right. you know, um, yeah, probably like playing um, in in the like lounges and shit back east in Vermont. My parents had a place in Vermont, and I used to play at like Howard Johnson's with my friends' bands and stuff, and they'd throw me a, you know fifty bucks or something. And what material are you playing at Howard Johnson's? Um, well, the band that I was playing with then, it, yeah, just uh, top, not even top 40. He was like into like Beach Boys and Beatles and all that kind of stuff. But uh, there was a band called the Davis Brothers Garage in, in New England. They were really happening and they had great original music. But they were doing, they had a great keyboard player who had like, you know, ARP 2600s and all this like fancy oh, wow. shit. And they, we were doing Emerson, Lake and Palmer and, you know. Santana and all that kind of stuff. So I was like playing, I was, I, you know, I had a curfew for like 1230. And I, you know, when I was 16, 17, I'd be driving these back roads in Vermont to go play these gigs and, uh, you know, play in the first set and then have to, or for a couple sets and have to get back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and what was the guitar you were carrying around at that time? At that time, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, I was wheeling and dealing guitars pretty young. So, um, I always had one, but I was, I started trading them pretty quick, you know? So I don't know. I mean, it was either like a Les Paul Deluxe probably, um, or, a, or a Tele Custom. Those were my first two proper guitars. Okay. Okay. All right. You know. Okay. So, so did you go to, uh, to college after high school or no? No, I didn't. I, you know, I, um, I never learned to read music. So my mom was not too thrilled about that and um she you know she sort of begged me to like go, go to music school after high school so i i applied to i think i didn't get into berkeley <laughs> which mm -hmm. says a lot because i think they take anybody but back in 1980 maybe it was a little harder probably not but um so i went i, I went to dick Groves for a couple days and uh in the valley which is like a gets a music trade school mm -hmm. and um and honestly, I, I know so little about music theory and that I, you know, I was, I was over my head right away. So it only lasted a few days. So then what was the, what, what was the next move then to start like, you know, making like, when did you realize, okay, I need to kind of find my lane and start, you know, paying some bills maybe or making a living? Well, you know, I mean, I've been fortunate to have had some help along the way. So, I, you know, I, went there, I didn't really have that stress. But, um, you know, I was kind of making, I was able to make money playing music pretty early, pretty quick, you know, just playing in bands and stuff. Um, you know, so, yeah, that really, it really wasn't an issue. I was kind of working pretty quick. Okay. Okay. I mean, making side guy change, which isn't really very good. I don't yeah. recommend it, kids. <laughs> yeah, and it and it hasn't changed. You know. Yeah. It's the same same gig money, same everything, over the years. So okay, so so you're out there in the scene here in L.A. and you're you're getting called. When do uh, what about sessions? When do those start to happen? Who starts calling you for the first sessions? Well, the first one was actually kind of like the best one. It was kind of like it never really got better than that. Okay. Uh, and I, I used to be friends with um, Harry Nilsson's lawyer. And okay. Harry Nilsson's lawyer's son. And, and I used to play tennis over at 
at their house, at this lawyer's house. And um, Harry used to come over and, and this guy's wife um, so used to sit, you know, tell Harry, oh, you got to listen to Val play, you know. And he was like, he'd, he'd take a look at me in my tennis shorts and be like, oh, you know, don't make me do that to the kid. I remember him saying that, you know, don't make me do that to him, you know. <laughs> so I ran and grabbed my guitar one day and like sat down and started boinking on, a, on my Strat on the couch. And like he, he actually heard something and he was like, well, what are you doing next week? So he called me to play with him in the studio on this Yoko Ono album that, that he was working on. <laughs> and I was like 18 or something, 18 or 19. So that was like my first like real session and Jim Keltner was on drums and you know, it was full on. What a scene to walk into for your first session. Holy cow. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, it, it was, um, it was a trip and I, you know, I was, I don't remember being as nervous as I should have been. You know, the whole thing was just so ridiculous that, you know, the way it went down, the way I, the way I, you know, came into being there that I showed up at, at the, the studio and they had a song already cut and they went, needed a guitar solo. And Harry was like, all right, you're going to play the solo kid, you know? <laughs> so I set up my little Jim Kelly amp. And the producer was this guy, Rick Riccio, and he kind of got in my face. He wasn't very friendly. And, he, and I remember he actually got right up into my face and said, what are you going to do? And I was like, what do you mean? You know, like, and I knew that they just needed a solo on this track that was not particularly difficult. It was mm -hmm. a bluesy thing. And I was like, well, just let, give me a shot, man. Just put it in record, you know. Yeah. And, um, and I got it, like, I think first or second take was good, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, and then that producer came back out to me and he was like, you're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it was a real Hollywood moment. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it sounds like you were just young enough and unex not unexperienced, but you know, not in that scene enough that it, it wouldn't have phased you no matter what, right? Did you know who Jim Keltner was even? Or, no. Or was, no, okay, yeah, so. Because if you knew, if you were, you know, five years later you, you would have freaked out if it was your first session and there was Jim Keltner and whoever. I'm, I'm you know, yeah. truly ashamed to say that I don't think I really was aware of who Jim was, um, except for my buddy was like, oh, yeah, like John Lennon and this and that, Jim Keltner on drums. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, because I didn't follow, like, I followed guitar players, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Yeah, man, wow. So, okay. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's, you know, kind of your path. So when did you decide to start doing your own music? Because, man, I really loved your solo album and your, and oh, your tunes. You. And when, when did you kind of start writing and kind of going that way? Well, it's been a tricky, a tricky thing for me because I, I'm not, I'm a kind of a crappy lyric writer. So I rely on writing with people, you know. So my, all my CDs are co-written co with people. So until I found the right kind of people that I could do that with, um, I recorded a lot of music that I wasn't very proud of and I wouldn't release. Like for years I was trying and just like I'd make a whole record and my friends would be like, you're fucking nuts, put this thing out. And I was like, yeah, but I, I hate it. It's not very good, you know. So, you know, it took me a long time to get to the place where I really liked it myself. And that was about writing with really good people, you know. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So, you know, that once I started, got into that, 
and now it's, you know, it's really what seems like what I should be doing, you know, it, it brings me more satisfaction than anything right. else. At this point. Yeah. And then that's, it's always finding the balance between doing, once you kind of find that thing, you're the voice you've been trying to cultivate and it comes out then like, you know, balancing, wanting to spend all your time on that and then also work and, you know, make a living and do all that other stuff too. Yeah. 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 You know, and I, cause I love playing with, with Jackson and doing Jack shit and doing all that. I mean, I can't imagine not doing those things. Right. But it's interesting in this pandemic, it's sort of, you know, I can't, you can't go and play with your friends now. So I'm like stuck with myself trying to like, all right. Um, to sort of imagine, not that, you know, life isn't going to turn back around, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, but it's kind of got me uh, really focusing on my own stuff. I've got a new record, actually, that I've just about finished that I started right when the pandemic started. Oh, wow. And I'm really pretty excited about it. Well, that's good. At least you, for you, you were able to continue writing and be creative because I found that's that's the part that has gone. The writing, I just have no kind of, you know, passion for writing at the moment. I'm playing every day. I'm shedding. I'm practicing. Uh, I've been producing a lot of records, mixing stuff, doing sessions. But writing my own stuff is just, man, no inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think everybody's handling it differently, the pandemic. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Well, for me, like, like I said, I, I collaborate and I've just found myself in a really nice trio of me and these two other guys and we've just been banging stuff out. So as soon as I get a whiff of that, something that's really hitting, then I hit it pretty hard and that's what I've been doing, you know? Yeah. yeah. All right. So tell me a little bit about Jack shit and for the, the, the viewers who don't know Jack shit, please go buy these records. Uh, because they're great. It's a great band filled with great musicians. Davey Farragher. Uh, I know you played with Davey before, right? Had you ever played with Pete before that band? Um, yeah, uh, I was. Jack shit came from us doing the music for the TV show Ally McBeal. Oh, right. And um, Vonda, Vonda Shepard, Shepard, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Vonda did the music. And um, she was friends at the time with Mitchell Froome. And we all knew Mitchell, producer Mitchell Froome, who did Sheryl Crow and Crowded House. And, um, and he is the one who brought Pete from England. He, he um, and, and because of Ally McBeal, actually, I think Pete flew here to do the show, to be the drummer for the music for the show. Really? They, yeah, I didn't see, I didn't know that. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, it was really great. I mean, it just, I mean, that was a great gig. Vonda was like, had had kind of struggled in the music biz as talented as she is do, doing her singer songwriter stuff. And then she landed that job. And I actually toured with her for years before she got the gig. And it was kind of like, well, you know, it felt like she was kind of beating a dead horse a little bit because she's heading down the real singer songwriter lane when maybe she should have been doing more of a pop thing. But, um, and then, you know, when she got the show, she handled it just right because she'd struggled enough to know how to really like, you know, 
she just worked her ass off during that and she got us paid really well and it was a fantastic gig and but we were doing the on-camera stuff on the tv show so every episode there was a barroom scene with right. Vonda singing so every week we would cut songs for the show we would be on camera and those on camera days took 14 and a half hours so you know we would uh, sit around in the trailer playing Graham Parsons songs. And that's how we put Jack shit together. Wow. That's awesome, man. And, and so I didn't, so you had never played with Pete before the Ally McBeal Vonda Shepard thing. Um, no, I think I did act just like a couple of records with Mitchell. Okay. Um, yeah. Maybe more than a couple. We used to, we did quite a few records before the show. Yeah. Oh, so okay. Pete came out here to do records with Mitchell. Okay. Mitchell would call me for quite a few records back then. Yeah. And then yeah, it all kind of came together. So when you write tunes for Jack shit, do you get into character before you write the tunes? No, we don't play it. We're all, we, it's all covers. You don't ever do any originals. I thought there were a few. No, Nope. Oh nope. man. Well, that's my, everything thing. we do. I mean, we, it, you know, it, we put our spin on everything. So a lot of the stuff oh, isn't yeah. all that recognizable and we pick a lot of obscure stuff, but yeah, you know, we did, we wrote, we did, but it didn't really, it kind of took, became serious and then kind of took the fun out of it a little bit. Like, <laughs> oh, wow, we're going to take ourselves seriously. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. Oh, it's a great band, man. It must be just fun, you know, to have an outlet like that to kind of blow off steam with your friends. And it's, you know, not that serious, but yet the music is still incredibly rewarding. Yeah, man, it's, I'm, I just absolutely cherish my relationship with those guys and to be able to play with them. I mean, they're, it's as good of a rhythm section as I have ever played with. And every time we play, you know, which is, you know, once a month. Sometimes we would take time off when the guys are on tour or we're not out of town and we get back together. And after 20 years of doing it now, we can actually play without getting together, you know, just show right. up and play. And it's, it's always shocks me how, how comfortable it is. It's amazing how that happens when you've done a gig for a long time. You know, it's like, you'll, you'll even remember, Hey, remember how we opened the show that time on this day? in 2006 let's open wow. like that you know and it's like yeah yeah we did that one time how do you remember that just do yeah. 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 yeah all right let's get into our our 10 questions all right val when you started learning playing you kind of answered this already but what was the first thing that just like totally wound you up and hooked you so when you figured it out there was that proud moment of i can't believe i figured this out like i'll never do anything else forever this is it oh uh, you know you know i i mean i i did say chuck berry johnny be good but you know having my brother <laughs> doing that being able to do that and then just bam, 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 and then have that go into all those keith richards like some rolling stone songs um i think that was it you know for me yeah well, that's Chuck a good one yeah. yeah i mean you can't ask for more i mean and, and obviously i can understand why it's just so fun so the second you play that for the first time it's, it's always like that sense of accomplishment and just pure joy like 
did you hear that? I did it. You yeah. know, like it's just, yeah, it's so yeah. great. Yeah. And it's a double stop, you know, the first <laughs> lick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so great. Oh, man. Okay. What was the first solo you ever learned note for note? Um, well, I think it might have been, I used to learn solos with my brother, my brother's record player you know, with the needle moving it back. And mm -hmm. I, I remember vividly learning the solo to Love in Vain, Ooh. Mick Taylor's solo on, on Love in Vain on the Stones, Get Your Yeah Yeah's out album. Um, and not knowing that he was playing slide <laughs> and, and trying to cop that beautiful lyrical thing. Yeah. And then someone going, God, you should get a slide, you know? <laughs> like what's that <laughs> yeah i've heard that story from other guys saying they didn't you know they didn't know that that was slide and they learned that solo you know and it was like but it, but it ended up being you know just just as impactful learning it straight it was like you got this new thing kind of you, you weren't expecting from it but yeah i've heard that yeah. story before yeah and then like learning you know blow by blow and that stuff like spending yeah. hours upon hours that summer that might be the record the guitar the guitar record that like changed me forever you know mm -hmm. and you'll probably never forget anything off that record like you you may uh -oh. need to brush up but you, you put it on it'll come right back to you probably i can sing all of it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah every note every pickup switch you know yep everyone everyone yeah Okay, what's the first thing you play every time you pick up a guitar? Do you have like a little go-to thing? And do you have like a thing when you go to try a guitar, like at a store? Uh, you know, something that, that lets you know what this guitar has or just gets you comfortable yeah. and in the zone? I, I think so. I mean, I always drop D-Tune. Okay. So, so if you go into Cliff's store after I've been there, you'll, you'll find a shitload of guitars with all the ease tuned at D. <laughs> but uh you know lately i've been playing like i always play like this certain jackson song uh call it alone oh it's just this beautiful well it's a lindley written co-write the only song he wrote with david lindley actually okay All but right. it's a beautiful guitar riff either that or like some land out shit or something you know <laughs> um yeah yeah it's funny what, what everybody you know i had a thing i used to play for years Anytime I'd be at a gig and I'd hit standby on my amp, I'd play this thing in E, the same thing. And it got to be so much that, like, I'd be on the road with different artists and it, they'd know it by heart and they'd play it back to me or the bass player would play it to me. So I kind of had to abandon it because I felt like, oh, this is it's becoming a joke. Like, I got to stop doing it. But now I've, I have something in G that I do almost every time I turn my <laughs> amp on for the first time. And I don't know why that happens, but it just is, you know. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. All right. When do you feel like you started to find your personal voice? Was there a moment like when you tr found a new technique or just played something interesting and it, it registered and you went like, oh, you know what? I need to go further down this path. It's leading me where, where I should be going. Well, I was always drawn to guitar players that seemed to be singing on the guitar, you know, and I, I learned a lot of, uh, like Lindsey Buckingham and, uh, oh, yeah. um, 
I remember being a kid and like learning like Frampton and shit or the guitar, he's just totally singing like a voice. Like when he would solo, it sounded like singing. So I think that that the, being into those kind of guys really, you know, helped me play like that, you know, because I think that is sort of how I play. I'm really trying to sing through yeah. the guitar. Yeah, and, you're trying um, to tell a story. I really hear it in your in your playing, you know, it's like you always have a, a clear kind of narrative, you know, that doesn't say, I mean, not that you can't play a lot, but it, it never says anything kind of superfluous. You get to the point and you, you say what you're oh, meaning to say. You. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the whole deal for me. Like I'm just super, like, as soon as I hear someone not doing that, I'm kind of like, I'm, I just, it kind of, it's a little distracting, but uh but at times i also hear myself back sometimes and i'm like damn you're like trying a little too hard to be tasty <laughs> like you could have brought a little more to that you know um <laughs> right. but it's just it is the way i play and uh when i found my voice on the instrument pretty young i think you know because i was you know like just playing that mick taylor stuff if you can copy the solo on love and vain you are you are you have to be singing with your instrument to get that you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah and, absolutely um, but i i have heard people say like oh stop like buying michael landau's gear or tom bugavac stuff and find your own voice and i call bullshit on that because i mean i do that shit all the time man i've been buying a pedal because bukovac uses it or this or that and i and it's helped me find my voice, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I might be a little off the track there, but. <laughs> no, but I mean, the gear, so the gear side of that equation is, is an interesting thing because certain pieces of gear are certainly, at least in our memory, tied to certain players. So it's like, yeah. you know, when I see a guitar player with a, you know, a voodoo, uh, uh, what, whatchamacallit, the voodoo, pedal that mike uses and an arian chorus yeah the voodoo I, one voodoo that. one and an arian <laughs> chorus and an sd9 i know where they're coming from you know what i mean but it, yeah. but it doesn't mean they're going to sound like mike or play like mike it just means they really enjoy that tone and you know that's that it, it, it's going to take them some some other way you know yeah more often than not when i buy some shit that mike uses i plug it in and i'm just like what in the hell like how is he you know I totally don't relate, you know? Well, dude, I can't tell you the number of times that Mike has asked me about something I have, and then he buys it, and he's like, dude, I can't get this to work for me. But he's like, I love the way it sounds when you play it, you know? And it happens all yeah. the time. Yeah. I'm like, dude, well, it's the same. I try, you, know, you know how many SD9s I've bought in the last 20 years and sold? <laughs> what, the, is that the Sonic Distortion? Yeah, yeah, Sonic. Yeah, no, I don't understand that thing at all. Yep, I could never get it. But yet Mike uh, and Scott Henderson and all those cats used that pedal for years, and it was such an important sound. I thought I must be fucking it up. I, I'm, I must not understand this pedal, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, man. It's, uh, I've gone down that road many times, buying, uh, buying other people's shit and then selling it. Although, I, you know, Bukovac's hit me to some great stuff. Yeah. You know, you hit, hit to him. He's oh, yeah, absolutely. Favorite. Yeah. He's great, man. What a great player. Like the um, the the Boss EQ pedal. Yeah, I love that thing. Yeah. All right. What? It, 
what, or if, do you have a key or a style or a groove that ever just kind of plays in your head all the time? For me, like sometimes even when I'm in a conversation and definitely like if I'm cooking, if I'm driving and always before I fall asleep, for some reason I'm hearing a groove. I'm hearing a shuffle normally with some swinging beboppy type phrasing on top, like an, an endless improvisation of it's normally B flat. And I'm just wondering if you have anything that kind of plays like that, you know, in your head. Uh, no, I mean, lately it's just what I'm working on, you know, but right. that day will just be in my head all night. And sometimes yeah. like the other day I was trying to get a, guitar sound and I fucking spent hours trying to get it and never did got it kept me up all night that guitar the riff I was playing <laughs> was in my head all night yeah. but uh I mean anything hypnotic you know man like Mick Fleetwood's drumming <laughs> oh yeah that mm. that kind of vibe Lindsey Buckingham you know and you know like hypnotic music definitely I'm usually humming something, you know, painfully repetitive. Yeah. Yeah. It gets so bad for me that I, I can't fall asleep almost until I kind of like wrap up whatever this solo is that's running in my head. Yeah. It has to have an ending. <laughs> you know, it's a, oh, man. Yeah. And it keeps going over the bar line and I'm like, fuck, just play a turnaround and end this. Thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. It ha- it's every night, almost every night. I hear you. Yeah. All right. What what's your biggest weakness on the guitar? Mine is acoustic guitar, arpeggiated, finger picking, you know, under James. I can't be James Taylor. What what's yours? Um Well You know, I get I'll find a sound that I like. And then I'll just, because I had a good experience with it, I think I need to use it all the time. And um, so lately I've been playing this certain guitar all the time, like whether it's appropriate for the song, you know, I just go to it, you know, and I feel like that is sort of my crutch right at the moment, (laughs) you know? Okay. Okay. Um, I don't know if that answers the question, but. No, but I mean, that's certainly, uh, you know, you're, it's, if you're aware of it, then I guess it counts as, as a crutch or a weakness or something like that. Yeah, yeah. you know, like if you get a good sound, that doesn't mean that that sound is going to work on the next song, which is completely different. Absolutely. But, yeah. 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 I mean, you know how it is when you're trying to get a sound and you don't get it, how frustrating that can be. So um, frustrating. So frustrating. All right. Who, who's in a huge influence on your playing that people may be surprised to hear? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, hmm. I'm going to have an answer for this in the middle of the night tonight. <laughs> um, cut. Uh, Neil Young. <laughs> no, but everybody. Well, no, I don't know. I mean, I, I do like. I love imperfection in singers and guitar players. You know, um, if it's got that attitude and soul. Yeah, you love honesty. 
you love just people that are it just comes out the way they feel it yeah yeah it's like i'll take keith richards singing you know um (laughs) bob dylan not so much you know but uh yeah i'm I'm with you i mean i love bob dylan of course we all do but yeah uh when somebody's just reaching for it and and fucking up a little bit along the way and to me there's just nothing better than that Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you can tell when somebody is being a hundred percent honest and when somebody's just putting you on with you know uh, some form of a show or some sort of faking it, some sort of, you know, just preening and prancing up there. It's like, I'd much rather listen to the guy who doesn't have quite as much to say, but man, the fuck does he know how to say it versus somebody yeah. who knows how to say everything and is just shouting it at you in a way that's not enjoyable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. no kidding. Yeah. All right. Would you rather have a great guitar and a shitty amp? Or vice versa, a great amp and a shitty guitar. Um, depends. <laughs> for live or studio? No, if you just yeah. had to choose in the moment for live, and you had to oh. either have a shitty amp and a great guitar, or the other way around, which would you rather have? Oh God, that's a very hard question. But I'm probably going to say for live playing the amp for sure that's i'm with you on that one it's split down the middle the answer but i'm with you on that one i I would always go with the amp over the guitar yeah i mean if the guitars if the amp's not happening boy you are screwed (laughs) yep yeah i know i'm more comfortable with an amp that works and gives me a decent sound and any guitar than i would be even with my own guitar and like a crate with digital reverb and no headroom I'll know you. the audience will get a better show from the other way around. Yeah. If the guitar's got a, a volume knob and a tone knob, <laughs> you might be able to, you know, yeah. find your way around if you got a good amp. Yep. Yep. All right. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> Not that I use a volume knob or a tone knob ever. <laughs> <laughs> ever. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Um, what keeps you motivated, man? Like what keeps you learning new stuff every day and wanting to be better tomorrow than you are today? What, what's, what is it that keeps the, you know, the, I guess the fire burning? Well, I mean, to be honest, I, I'm really bad about learning new stuff. And every now and then I'll hear, I, I called you like a year, a couple of years ago. So I, I, you, I saw a, a clip and you explained something. I've always, you know, I'm just, I've never really learned um, any music theory and harmony and stuff like that. And I've always wished that I could play a little more outside and maybe learn, you know, like play bebop or just some, it's amazing like what little things can really open up huge doors. And I don't, I don't follow that as much as I, I should. I remember seeing you, you showed one of your videos and I was like, oh God, I gotta call Josh and get like lessons, man. <laughs> and I called you and I didn't follow through on it. But um, I really don't do it because I spend now all my time um, like trying to write songs, write music, or like playing with Jackson. If I'm in that world, then I'm like learning his songs, just how they go, not so much parts. But there's a bit of that too, learning parts and stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I could definitely, you know, I would love to learn some more. I mean, I remember I did. uh, 
Oh no, we're breaking up. How do you how did you teach a guy says the connection's unstable? How do you teach a guy who doesn't know what he's doing? <laughs> how to <laughs> how to do that? Yeah. I think, and I think Scott was like, well, you imagine you imagine the fretboard just moving it, but, but just play some shit and then move the board under you, you know, like back and forth. <laughs> like something like that that I actually kind of related to, you know. Well, There's, there is that. that's I mean that's not a completely out of the way way of thinking about it. I mean Bruce is some something special, you know. As is Scott, they're so they're so special, you know. Um, oh, as improvisers, uh, they just have this breadth of vocabulary that it just endless. It just goes on and on and on and on. But yeah, yeah I'm always looking for the little things that I can kind of hold on to. And like you said, it's amazing how much a little thing will knock a huge hole in a wall. And all of a sudden, all this stuff just comes pouring out that, you know, from this little thing. And I'm always yeah. looking for as many of those as I can, I guess. Yeah. Well, your chops are astounding to me. So, I oh, mean, come on, man. Come um, on. I, I appreciate the kind words, man. All right. Uh, number 10. Where do you want to be in five years? What, what, what's, what's the next big, big move for you as a writer, as a player, as an artist? What, what, what's on, on, you know, down the line as a big goal? Well, a big goal for me would be to, to, you know, I do my own music, but it's mainly a studio thing. And I haven't done that many shows, you know, of my music. And um, because it's a whole other thing, like to perform my music is very, very challenging. Because, you know, in the studio, especially spending quite a bit of time in the studio in my life, we figured out how to get stuff, you know, done. And, um, yeah, man, to, to get it across live is a very challenging thing. So, you know, that's my goal is to do more of that. And, you know, I'm not somebody who cares about performing the record just the way it is. I just wanted there to, it to have a vibe, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, but it, it takes a lot of work and commitment. So I think that's probably where I'm headed. That's a good goal, man. I, I, I'd pay for a ticket to that show. <laughs> no way you're on the list <laughs> dude well that's it that was the 10 questions man thank you so much and for members we're gonna have the little turn to segment here at the end of the video where we'll teach you two two licks but dude it's it's a pleasure to talk to you i i truly am a huge admirer of your playing and of your music and i just appreciate appreciate you taking time out of your day to to do this with me oh man the feeling is so mutual well, Love your plane. All right. And thank you, everybody, for watching. Thanks for having me. You got it.